Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. I know that it's been hot. It's been killing me. Man, I woke up this morning to take the dog outside, and it looks like we got a little cool front sweeping across the state. So I'm excited about that. We can kind of we get in the first taste of fall. Fishing's starting to change up. Let's check with some of the guys in the state and see what's heading our way. All right, guys, for our first guest, we're talking with Ken Bearden. Uh, Ken usually fishes up on the Chattahoochee Lake Systems, uh, but he's recently been doing some fishing up around Lake Gunnersville. Uh, we're going to talk with him a little bit about the uh, the differences and the similarities between those waterways. Ken, how you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm really enjoying this little cool snap we low humidity we have having today, and fishing get out and take advantage of that on on West Point out here. <laughs> yeah. I know this man. This morning it was that type of weather where you didn't need a hoodie or a jacket or anything like that, but you could wear one if you wanted to just to make you feel special. Oh yeah, ready for fall. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready for fall too, man. I, I like to fish, but I like uh, I live for duck season, deer season, and uh, I like it. Once them, once that weather starts dropping and them leaves start falling, I'm I get I get antsy. Yeah. Well, tell me. So you you usually you know fish around West Point. I seen on your social media you was up in Gunnersville last week, and uh, you know we kind of cover the whole state. We cover all those different lake systems, and we talk every week about what the fishing is doing there. And I think it'll be interesting to sit down with you today and kind of talk about what bass are doing. Are, are they really doing anything different driving from, from West Point to Lake, you, uh, Lake Gunnersville? Well, depth-wise, no. It's pretty much uh, catch them in the same, about the same depth range up there with a, a few exceptions because uh, there's so much more grass up there. We don't, we don't have any grass here, but uh, as far as like the ledge fishing, from 12 foot down to about, I don't know, about 22, 23 feet, somewhere around in there, is where I had been catching them here on West Point. So I get up there to Gunnersville, and uh, I kept seeing all the way through June how good the lake was fishing. You know, uh, they were seeing big schools of fish and all this stuff. And I mean, schools with 100, 150 in it, you know, and they're all three and four pounders. So I get up there, and I'm, I'm struggling, you know. Because they're not running as much water as they were in July as they were in June. And, of course, you know, the water is everything. Uh, the current, anytime you got current flowing, uh, the fish are going to bite. Um, they're going to position themselves right where you can present a lure to them and you can catch them. But I got up there, and they wasn't pulling much water. And uh, I was trying to fish out on the ledges and stuff, and, and this was not catching much. Um, uh, so I, I swapped, and I've been up there in the summer before and caught them on a frog and lily pads that was mixed with milfoil underneath the lily pads. And it started out, I could catch them like that, and then we started having thunderstorms every afternoon. I mean, this torrential rain, clouds, 
you know, and then the clouds would bleed over to about 11 o'clock the next day. And so the water temperature just, it kept getting down to about 84. I think the lowest I saw it was 83. That caused a lot of fish to pull, pull back up off the ledges and into the grass. And they got, they were like, you pull up on a, a find the grass mat, you know, you want to be in like a little channel, like go inside of a little creek channel where it's about 18, 22 feet. But the fish would be up there in about 12 foot, right where the grass ended off the flat and coming down the down the side of it. Once I figured that out, I started catching more and more fish. Um, I was there for a couple of weeks. So towards the end there, I started it started getting hotter. Uh, less thunderstorms and stuff and so I, I slowly started catching more fish out on, on the ledges but yeah from the, from 12 foot uh, you know down to about 23 was uh, was the key thing now if you had a storm coming if you looked on your phone and you was watching the radar and there was a storm you know an hour and a half away you could run and get to those lily pads and matted up areas and you know that barometer falling like that you catch some you know, still catch them on the frog we, we had several several good days where we call them like that day on the frog and we could we could fish it right up until that thunderstorm got right you know on us and then we'd lock everything down and run to the ramp and get out because those storms up there there they can be treacherous <laughs> you know a lot of open water and um it being in that valley the tennessee valley i don't know why but those storms seem to be really strong up there so you have to really watch that um, once you get caught out in the middle of the lake on one of them you uh, realize you gotta keep your eye on that uh, but yeah it, it was fun i caught 99 percent of them on a jig a three eight ounce jig with a zoom uh, speed crawl on it and i would die on the pinchers that i could get through the grass pretty good without getting a whole lot of eelgrass and stuff on there. Um, a handful on a, you know, a six, six inch flutter spoon. Caught uh, a few on a top water. It's just so much eelgrass floating. It's just hard. You know, you had to have a, a day when the wind was blowing and pushed it all out of the way so you could fish over, over the flats that had grass on it. That, that was uh, my, my main lures and Another thing I threw was a, 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 a Kitex with a quarter ounce belly weight on it. Now you could wind that down. If you had a flat where they was, say it, say it was eight foot deep and the grass grew up two feet from the surface, you could throw that Kitex and you could wind it across the top of that stuff. And if it, if it would hang in it, you just keep turning your reel handle and it would break free. And a lot of times that's when you, the fish would hit it. Uh, right when it would snap free that was pretty much the baits that i used while i was there you were mentioning that you caught a few on a frog any particular frog you were throwing i just i just throw a, a popping frog just a black with some yellow in it and some red in it that's what we've always thrown don't get into a bunch of different colors and different kind of frogs because it you know, I'm throwing over a lot of vegetation that's grown up to the top. So what you're imitating 90% of the time is not a frog, it's a brim. On that milfoil and hydrilla, I would guess on the eelgrass too, uh, I, there's a freshwater shrimp that grows, that lives on that stuff. And you, you about had to put it under a microscope to see it. But these, 
and you pull up to a mat and you hear this that's those brims sucking those little freshwater shrimp. Some of them are on the vine going up and some of them are where it's laid over and where it's laid over next to the top and he's he sucks down, then you you hear you're hearing that that little popping sound, the sucking sound of them sucking that in, and a lot of times he'll get excited that brim will, and he'll get he'll run into that little mat and he'll get tangled up, and he's trying to break himself free and you know get back down underneath that mat, and that's when the bass you know crush them, and that that's that's what they're you're really imitating is is a brim that's hung up in that grass up there. Because I've watched it happen. I've been fishing there since 93, fishing tournaments and going on vacation up there, fishing. And um, the frog fishing is fun. I mean, it's, um, and you can do it year-round if you want to commit to it. It's just like swim bait or, or, or glide bait or anything like that. You know, you you got to commit to it and get in the right areas. But, uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. So. I went up there to set up a veterans fishing event uh, for next spring uh, out of Goose Pond. And so I, I I met with the VFW and the American Legion and the owners of Goose Pond, which the owner of Goose Pond is a, he's a retired Marine. And uh, I met with the Parks and Recreation and the guy running it, he's 20 years retired out of the Navy. So there's a ton of veterans up there. I think it's going to be a great event. Um, so we got that on on the books for the first weekend in April uh, next year in 24. Yeah, that should be a real good time. Yeah, yeah, it should be a lot of fish caught. Good time to take veterans out. Good weather. So I, I got back home and um, I've been out. I've been I think twice out here and fish uh, in the afternoon. They're schooling on top. So the day before yesterday, uh, I went out. I mean, just slayed them. Taser just blowing up, knocking shad, and they're up on a flat late in the afternoon. Now, if you go during the day, you're gonna be in that. Like yesterday, I pulled up on a spot, and it tops out about 12 foot. And I scan my live scope over there, looking around, and, and I see, a, I mean, just a ton of brim and a, a few fish with them. And so I make my cast, you know, and, and I, I caught about a six pound largemouth right there. When when I brought it through there, he did. I mean, he just he nailed it. And then later on, as the evening went, they, the fish, those hybrids pulled up on that flat, which is about seven feet deep on top of that flat. Uh, but they'll push the, they'll start out in the deep water and they'll push the bait till they get on top of that flat. And once they get on top of that flat, it game is on right then. I mean, you, you can catch them about as fast as you can get your bait in there. Uh, and sometimes it lasts for 30 minutes. Sometimes it lasts for an hour. You just, we really don't know, but I'm just throwing a a, a, a half ounce or eagle spoon. You just cast it, and you you really about five times real fast, and then stop and let it flutter back to the bottom, and then really about five times fast and let it flutter back. And I watch them on my live scope, and it's really interesting how you said the spoon goes to the bottom, and then when it takes off, when you reel it five times like that real fast, and it takes off. That's that triggers that fish to come after it, and as soon as you stop it to let it fall, that's when they'll hit it right there. And then there's times that they get finicky. You you're jig it in front of them, jig it in front of them, and they just he just won't eat it, you know. That's once they're kind of turning off, you know, after they've been feeding for about 30 minutes or an hour. 
you know, they'll get their bellies full and, and they start splitting up. You know, they're not all wadded up in one area. Right. But it's it's been good. It's just you just have to you need to go when the water's running or go in the afternoon where where you can not have the sun directly over you, you know, beating down on you in the heat like that. For sure. Yeah, I know that's that's been something that I've been struggling with with a lot of my fishing is just when you got ninety something degree surface temperatures, uh if if something happens and you sleep in and you miss that first hour, man, it's hard to make yourself get out there. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more. You talking about watching those fish on live scope. So I know that's that's something that's interesting to me. There's a big debate, you know, going on about people, you know, people feel strongly one way or the other about live scope. But it's interesting to me talking with people saying things like you're saying where you can watch those fish. And it seems like a chance to really learn more about fish behavior. And it seems like that would have to make you a better angler, even if you weren't using live scope to just learn things like you're talking about, like being able to watch how a fish is reacting to your lure and adjusting your presentation kind of in real time and and kind of fine tuning the details of a retrieve. Um, are there any other circumstances where you found that maybe maybe use live scope to to learn how to just vary that retrieve slightly to really nail what's triggering fish on that day? Well, the main thing I I use it for is, you know, looking for the for bait. Like yesterday when I saw that, that just a big I mean, that's probably a hundred brim. There's an old bridge uh under the water right there and there's there's a high spot when there's there's a piece of that bridge sticking up. And they were just surrounded that thing, you know. You know, I, I just I cast it up and I had I had caught one earlier. Uh, around the brush pile I, I scanned around and saw a brush pile and there was this ton of brim around it and i throwed over there and, and caught about a pound and a half spot and then when i got out there where that old bridge was at and saw pretty much the same scenario all that bait fish around that old piece of metal pipe sticking up just make the cast and you know if he's in there i don't know if it's something this the one thing that looks different just coming through there that makes him want to eat it you know or it's maybe it's breaking away from the pack makes them run out there and eat it but um i'm still learning with it you know it's just it's been a really good tool to add to everything else and it's kind of like your power poles and your gps and your side image i mean once once you you start using it and you you get kind of good with it you you don't you wouldn't want to get in the boat with somebody who doesn't have it and fish (laughs) you know it's like i know I know if I'm throwing at a fish or not, you know, you know, uh, before you can only see like straight down under your boat right there. So and you're casting out, so you can't really see if there's something over there that you're casting to, you know, fish. Um, now I can see out there, you know, I I can see my bait, you know, a hundred feet away, go down and I can see a fish back. 50 foot and i can see it letting working it all the way back i just wind it and wind it until i get to the fish and let it fall right in front of him you know but as far as working the bait and getting one to react to it you can get a lot of them to react to it especially with a spoon they'll run up to it but uh they just don't want to eat it you know and he'll run up to it and you'll you'll stop it and it'll start to fall and then he'll you'll see him just go away and then you reel it up again and he comes back at it you know it's like they going away from him triggers him but he still got to be in the mood to eat you know he still got to he still got to want to put it in his mouth and you, you can't force feed them uh 
and you got to learn what a brim looks like and you know on there and what a bass looks like you I mean you, you don't want to spend half a day you know throwing at something that's not a bass and you think it's a bass you know and you can learn all that on youtube you know yeah that's that's something i had to learn just with regular old down imaging sonars when i first started using one of those is you know the difference between fish and fish you know because sometimes you can get big shad skipjack you know whatever the case may be like when you first get a sonar you just see arches and you get excited and you say oh man there's all kind of fish down there and uh mm-hmm. you think you think you throw into crappie and you just you just ain't uh so it's it's funny that you mentioned that i think a lot of people think that technology like that just makes fishing a sure thing but it's, it's funny what you just said you can't make them eat you can't force feed them right like it still requires some yeah some skill to make them bite even if you're right there looking at them there's nothing to say that you're gonna well, make him eat that lure that's still always that ball is in his court yeah well you know back in the 90s i lived on lake uh, logan martin and uh they came out with an aqua view camera that you could drop down there you know and see fish and so i bought one of them and i used it for a little over a month and then uh, it's been sitting and I've moved, you know, I, I've still got it, but I don't ever use it because I, I learned three things. I've learned that fish love rock and the fish love wood and the fish are extremely moody. Pretty much anywhere there's riprap or brush pile or stump, but there's bass and fish around it. So the, I could, I could see that stuff and drop it down there and you could see it, especially with, and I've done it with, a, with, a, you know, like big blowdowns there on the Coosa. i I'd pull over there and drop that thing in there and you could see bass and crappy and stuff and you could back up and you could fish it and not get a bite. Wait a little while and come back and fish it and not get a bite and then go back and drop your camera and they're still in there, but they're just not in the mood to eat. And then, you know, you come back by there three or four hours later and it, throw your bait in there and as soon as it hits water, I mean, bam, he hits it, you know. Fish are, you know, they're, they're just like us. When we get full, we're full. You know, we don't want nothing else to eat, you know. If we get hungry like them and somebody throws a piece of pie by us, we're going to grab it, you know. That's true. That's a good way to look at it. Well, uh, Ken, if, if people want to uh, kind of keep up with the, the work that you do organizing those veterans tournaments, uh, where's a good place for people to reach out to you at? With the veterans, they can go on the VFO, which stands for Veterans Fishing Organization, VFO Home, H-O-M-E dot org. You can read about it, and um, you can be a sponsor and, and, you know, pay for a fishing trip for a veteran if you want to do that. Because that's, that's our biggest struggles, you know, with any nonprofit pretty much is because we don't have a product to sell. We, we depend on people, you know, to support us with what we're doing. So you can you can send me an email through there, or uh, you can go on kenbeardandfishing.com, which is my guide page uh website and uh, you can send me an email through there if you want uh just a fishing trip or whatever and then we're on, i'm on facebook too you can contact me the veterans fishing organization or either me directly ken bearden or ken bearden fishing either one absolutely well guys definitely be sure if you're looking for a good guide uh there in the ufala west point area uh definitely check out ken and uh, check out the work that he does too with uh, the veterans tournaments and ken we definitely appreciate you being on the show today well i appreciate it and y'all have a wonderful day tight lines to you yes sir you too all right guys before we move on to our next report let's take a quick break and hear from one of this week's sponsors this week's episode of the alabama freshwater fishing report has been brought to you by bucks island 
Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors. They can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, 35907 zip code, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. All right, guys, we're back for our second guest today. We're going to talk with Peter Jordan down here at the Lost Angler Fly Shop here in uh, Baldwin County down on the deep south Gulf Coast. Peter, how you doing today, brother? Man, I'm doing great, Nick. Thank you so much for, for asking me today. Absolutely, yeah. It's been a while since we heard from you, and I uh, figured today'd be a good day to catch up. Did you, uh, did you do like I did this morning? Did you open up your door and step out and consider stepping back in for a light jacket just because you could? No, 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 I didn't. I, I can. <laughs> I walked outside. I absolutely loved it, but I surely wasn't going to put on a jacket. I was just going to try to soak up what little cool there was. There we go. There we go. I'm a bit thicker than you, fella. It's going to be a while before I need a jacket. <laughs> oh, I, don't get me wrong. I don't need one, but I wear mine so little down here. It's kind of fun just to try it on and, you know, just see how you look in. Well, I think last time I had to wear a jacket, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I've outgrown it at this point. <laughs> yeah, you can you get by down here. All that you need is uh, just a just instead of your short sleeve T-shirt, wear your long sleeve T-shirt and you'd be all right down here. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's true. That's so true. But no, it was exciting, and it does is kind of a is kind of a little thing to say, hey, you know, these cooler mornings are going to start in about a month, month yeah. and a half. It's not, it's still going to be hot as blue blazes during the day, but we're still we're getting closer to where those nighttime temperatures are going to start to drop, and that's going to make a tremendous difference for our fishing. Yeah, well, in in the meantime, with the surface temperatures here on most of the uh, main bodies of water that people are familiar with still being up in the nineties. What's uh what's your tricks for beating the summer heat? Man, you gotta go to where it's cooler. And we've got so many you and I've talked about this numerous times. We've just got so many wonderful little blackwater creeks down here and rivers. And uh and there's tons of great access points, but most of these blackwater rivers we have are spring fed and then they keep shade through most of the length. And so when you have shade over most of the length of the run of the river, it stays considerably cooler. So you've got fish that are going to move into those areas. And you've also got fish that are going to stay residents and they're going to stay, they're going to stay eating. If that makes sense, they're not going to be so they're not going to get turned off. I tell people that down here, our winter is always wonderful fishing. Um, Cause it never really, our water temperature generally, there are exceptions generally never gets so low that our fish are going to be just turned off. Uh, they're still going to eat. You may have to change the way you fish for them, but they're still going to eat. But we get so hot that where the rest of the country is, uh, you know, for, for them, they're looking at, well, this wintertime fishing, everything shuts down. For us, it's opposite of summer. And so the best thing we can do is hit these little blackwater rivers. And one of the best ones that has the most access points is completely surrounded by public land, which you everybody in the state of Alabama has paid for through their taxes, is the Perdido River. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit more because I, I used to be on a hunting club off 112, and we used to hunt Perdido River, but I don't know. I've canoed it and I've hunted it, but I don't know that I've ever thrown a hook in the water. What's uh, what's that like? Well, it's wonderful fishing. We've actually got in through there in the Perdido. You've got Choctaw bass, you've got spotted bass, you've got largemouth bass, you've got wonderful crappie fishing. 
and it changes character so dramatically. It runs all the way down the Alabama-Florida line. And the river that you see above I-10 is so different than the one you're going to see as it enters into Perdido Bay. And it's such a neat little place because at the bottom of Perdido Bay, you get into those little, you know, little fingers. Um, you have that intermix of, you know, where you see freshwater species and saltwater species. You know, you might have, you know, three casts in a row and catch, you know, a largemouth redfish a speck. You know, that's, that's what's so cool. But you go up to the top end of it, and there's so many places. I recommend that everybody check out Alabama Forever Wildland, uh, Florida uh, Wildlife, uh, and all that. And you can see your access points up and down the river. But I really like taking those float trips. Um, you've got gravel landing, Staples Landing, Blue Blue Lake. I mean, it's got it's a river that has probably more access points on it than any other in, I know of down here. And you never see a soul out there. And when you get into the water, it's cool. It's much cooler than the rest of them. But what you want to realize is you can get out there and wait it and have a wonderful time. But because the way our geology is down here, we don't have very much of that limestone bottom. So anytime you get into a hard bend in the river, just remember that that hard bend in the river is going to be very, very deep. So I normally like to recommend that people, you know, take a canoe down it, take a kayak down it. I love wading it. So one of the things I like to do is take a float tube. And you can get one of those little fishing float tubes. And what I like to do is I like to wade upstream, pull it behind me, fish as I go along, and we'll catch. Uh, you can take one six-weight rod, fly rod, and you can catch just about anything in the world you want to. It's just so much fun. And you can go upriver, get to that deep spot, put on little fins, go right on past that deep bend, go to the next spot. And you'll and you're really, really having a great time. And on the way back, kick back, relax, and float on back to the truck. Yeah, no, that, that sounds like a really good time. And that's, uh, you're, you're right. That water is a lot cleaner and cooler than most of the stuff that we da- have down here in the summertime. Yeah, 100%. And one thing I do want to stress to people is, you know, I don't mind, you know, you can definitely take fish from there if you want to. There's nothing wrong with that. But one, one thing I do like to stress to people is when you're fishing little creeks and rivers, we have to remember the way our ecology works. Um, let's say we catch a, uh, Let's say we catch a, a large mouth or something in his little area. It takes a while for something to move it back in. If we're in the delta or we're in the uh, a more productive area, then then that's fine. That place, that fish is going to have his place taken so much faster. But what you want to remember is these fish that are in these little creeks are very often much more willing to take a fly. And just like, and the reason is, you know, they're facing up river. And they've got a conveyor belt of food coming down. These places often find much, 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 much less pressure than other areas do, uh, which is wonderful. But what we want to remember is if you guys want to take some fish home for dinner, uh, please, please, please be very judicious in what you take because it will take a while for that little creek to recover from those fish you take in. And uh, so just kind of keep that in mind. And like I said, I'm not saying don't take anything home. You can but just remember, it does take that river and that creek a lot longer to recover from those fish that you take out. So think to yourself, maybe we're going to have, maybe uh, we want to eat some fish with uh, with mom and daddy. And we got four kids. So at that point, instead of taking home a limit, I might take three or four nice fish and call it a day at that. And that's a much, much better thing to do. And try to do that sparingly because these little creeks are just super special little gems. And uh, I think most fly anglers in general generally practice catching and releasing freshwater. Most bass fishermen certainly do. But this is one of those places that can have neat stuff going on. And you can get white bass. 
uh, you can get uh, uh, you can have mullet runs will go up there during the year. This is one of those neat. The Perdido is one of those neat places where the ecology of that river is a lot like what it was in our area before the dams went in, before logging was way overdone. So it's it's really jumping in on the Perdido, jumping in a canoe is a lot like taking a step back in time for a little while, and it's a it's a ton of fun. There's so many access points. It's a little bit of a drive from Daphne, where I'm at. It's about an hour. Uh, to get to most of those places, but an hour to get to go to a place where I won't see another soul for the whole day. I get to ride down backwoods. I get to ride down dirt roads for a little while and see everything. Man, that's as good as it gets. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit more because I've I've got some pretty extensive experience canoeing. Mm-hmm. What I've never been on a float tube down here. Do you have a? Tell me more about that. Like like how do you do that? What's your favorite float tube? No worries. Uh, so you can get uh, Classic Accessories makes one. Outcast makes some. I'm currently uh, uh, I'm currently using a Amazon knockoff because I'm cheap like that. What you can do is you can really enjoy getting getting down there. What you want to do is we want to be way further up the Perdido River where that river is running, running much faster to really enjoy that float tube situation. So I like to tell people kind of try to look around I, north of I-10 and that's going to be a good situation. A lot of times these float tubes are going to have places you can put tackle. You can put a little light cooler behind there for snacks and lunches. And you can normally, you know, they normally come with a little pair of kick fins. So once you get there, kick, do whatever you want to. And you can go from point A to point B. And that's a lot of fun. And normally they, most of the time they're going to be somewhere between 150 and $300. And then you can go on up and pay around 400 bucks and get some that have a frame that you can actually row like a little drift boat. And those things are a ton of fun. Yeah, that's and that's pretty. I know kayaks got really trendy here about, I guess, 10 years ago, you know, as far as being affordable and easy to store. But, yeah, those little inflatables, that's the whole next level. You can throw those in the back of your little Honda Civic and store them in the closet oh, of your yeah. little studio apartment. Yeah, and they're three and, and, they're, and they're 30, 40 pounds, you know, whereas you take, you know, most kayaks we you know have nowadays somewhere between 80 and 1000 pounds. <laughs> which you know there's nothing wrong with that you got to remember that the need for kayaks has changed so dramatically yeah and uh you know we're a new canoe dealer up here and so proud to be but you know the needs of the kayak when i first started kayak fishing um years and years and years ago um before pedal drives were even a thing you know we were getting in and jumping in it was more common to see a sit inside than a sit on top and you know the, the goal was to have the lightest possible kayak to get to where you wanted to go so that's kind of what you got to keep in mind. This kind of lets you get back to that simplicity, lets you get back to where you have something super light you can pick up, put in, and really have a wonderful time. I like the fact that you can just set it behind you. You can use the oars if you want to. And let's say you want to go up somewhere, you want to do the Cahaba, Kusa, Talapusa. Some of those bigger ones, uh, those pontoon boats I was telling you about, the uh, mm-hmm. classic accessories and outcast make, uh, they're at home on small whitewater rivers. So you can go have a great time doing that. And you can work your way up river on them too, which is really fun. Yeah, it sounds like a really good time. Do you ever worry, um, you know, if you're sitting in one of them that you have to use with the flippers? Like I know I I can answer the question for myself. I'm not really worried about alligators, but do you ever worry about something like that? Or more particularly down here, something that's more of a concern for me every year is Vibrio. Is that something that you ever pause to consider as far as getting out there wet wading or getting in a float tube? You can. That's something that's certainly definitely worth thinking about. But you just think about the rivers you're going into. When we're using this, we're getting away from everybody. 
and uh, we're getting away from where we've got those sewage outlets. So we kind of want to avoid that. As far as alligators, we want to do that. Once you get up into that really fast moving current up there, you're not going to see any alligators. But uh, just keep in mind that alligators like us enjoy donuts. So just keep an eye out. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, if you're, you're, you're going in areas where you're not going to have that problem in the first place, what you, just like any time you wade a creek or you're in a river this time of year, I'm not super worried about Vibro. I'm not super worried about alligators, but what you always need to be worried about is water moccasins. Yeah. And so just kind of keep that in mind. And that's just part of being outside. I, I'm way more worried about ticks than I am the rest of that where I go. That's the truth. I, I'm looking, I'm sitting here in my shorts here in my little home office and I'm looking down at my feet and my legs. And uh, I stay in the summertime. I stay in poison ivy and I stay in chiggers. Just doesn't matter what I do, what oh, yeah. I wear. That's a thing. And I tell you what, them water moccasins ain't no joke. And for any of you guys in the north part of the state, y'all don't get it because I actually was just listening to a, a podcast with a herpetologist and he, the conversation of water moccasins come up and y'all don't really get them up above the fall line. If you're up in the Piedmont or something like that, they're not a thing, but I can tell you down here, I don't know that I ever. I might want to argue out. with you a little bit, buddy. I can tell I'm you, man, the. The, the fishing I've done this summer up there, I can tell you almost every time I've been on the water down here in Baldwin County, I've seen one, and I'm yet to see one up north. I'm not saying they don't exist. That's not what this guy was saying, but just as far as prevalence, he's like, yeah, I just there's, it's not the same. Like, the hot spot is down here on, on the coastal plain. Oh, there's definitely a lot more of them, but I always, my, my, my thing on that, buddy, is every time I get out there and I'm on some of my favorite creeks and rivers, you know, in north and central Alabama, Every time I get out there and I think, man, I didn't see a single snake today. My next thought is, oh, oh Lord, how many did I miss? That's true. That's my next thought right behind it. And also, too, look at what you're looking at. Look at the currents on the rivers you're at. Look at where you're, you're doing it. You have to remember, too, that so many times we've got that slower moving water uh, up there. Their, their water is going to move much more quickly, and that's just fine. So just kind of keep in mind your topography of what you're dealing with. That's kind of like what we were talking about, the Perdita. I'm not super worried about alligators and things like that. I am much more worried about, uh, I'm much more worried about, you know, ticks and water moccasins. But I would agree with you that down here we do have more of them, but I don't, I would hate for the idea that folks up north of central Alabama, you know, that's always keep an eye out. Always keep an eye out. Speaking of things to keep an eye out for, uh, I know the Perdido is a very undeveloped river. Like I, I was actually just oh, up yeah. in the headwaters of it up in, uh, up around Atmore the other day and it never, up until it gets down to the bay, it never goes through any type of development. And the areas around it, the, the Alabama and Florida governments have done a really good job buying up a bunch of that land. We've done a real good job keeping on top of the timber companies and, and watching the way that they harvest timber along it. So it's a really clean watershed. And yeah. it seems like the result of that, just from the time that I've spent on it, that you don't really seem to have the water table variations that you get in some other rivers, right? And and what I've noticed looking at the the hydrograph for that area is even if you do have the Perdido come up, it seems to go back down relatively quickly um, versus something here like the Delta where it can go up and stay up for three months at a time. Is that something that you've noticed that that river seems to be a little bit more stable? Yeah, our, our rivers are, they're a lot more, they're, so our rivers down here, since they're sand, they're much more quickly combined into uh uh, into our tidal situation, it flushes the water out so much more quickly. And so that can be very helpful. But what we want to be mind, you know, it, it, it clears a lot faster. And also too, you have to think about the runoff of the different rivers. So 
development's become such a big problem with us. And don't get me wrong, we all want to have places to work and places to live and places to fish, you know, and places to, 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 to do. But it just takes a little bit longer for that to kind of trickle out and that fine sediment to, to get through. But for us, we're so much more quickly connected into, because it's a, I think mostly because it's a sand bottom, and this is, this is my guess, so don't take this as, as gospel, because it's a sand bottom, it's gonna, the water level is going to get absorbed into the water table more quickly. I'd actually have to ask somebody that knew a whole lot more than I did, but that is my, my guess. But you're 100% right. We get into the spring in central Alabama, and like on the Cahaba, it might, that, that river will be blown out for months. And then it'll come on down. You get a good rain in the fall. It'll clear out more quickly. But, and I think, too, another thing you want to remember, too, is a lot of those rivers connect into a dam system where it's not allowed to more quickly flow out. So that's what you. That's what I kind of look at down here. It's a tidal creek or tidal river situation at the bottom end. It's sand bottom, so it filters much more quickly. And then we don't have as many constraints of development. Yeah, that makes sense. That was kind of a run on sentence, but I don't know. <laughs> no, it was it was a complicated question with a complicated answer. I've, I've I, I think you're right. It's a it's an interesting place to go. It's a neat neat little ecosystem. And uh, something I'll just throw out as me and Peter have been talking. Something I will throw out for my my listeners uh, here in Alabama, the Perdido River forms the boundary between Florida and Alabama. So you generally if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Peter, if you get on the Perdido River, you can fish that with an Alabama or a Florida license. But I just looked it up. And if you wanted to access it from the Florida side or fish any of the tributaries that go off over that way, a uh, freshwater fishing license for an out-of-state resident in Florida is actually really reasonable. Right now, it's $47 for an annual. Yeah, it's really reasonable. Yeah, that opens up just a lot of opportunities for people down here in Baldwin County. Um, getting into Yeah, totally, that area. totally. And we're so close to... And we're so close to Florida that there's so many wonderful places we can go. You know, I think most of us probably already have, uh, I think most of us already have, you know, in our area down here, fishing licenses for Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, and Lord, most of us probably have Louisiana too, um, just because it's just so close by. But that's kind of my recommendation. But you're right. If you do want to go up those tributaries, as long as you stay in the main branch, you don't have to worry about it. But if you want to go up the tributaries and enjoy that, uh, then you do need to have the appropriate state license for those areas. Right. Well, Peter, I could I could talk about blackwater fishing all day, but I know we got a time constraint here on the podcast. If people want to get a hold of you, if they're looking to do some fly fishing down here on the Perdido and they need some flies or they need a new canoe or anything like that, where's a good place for people to reach out to you? Oh, you can holler at me at the store at, uh, you can go to lostangler.com. I mean, is it .com? It's .net. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lostangler.net. I'm sorry, I don't check my own website out very often. Uh, y'all can holler at me on my cell phone at 251-520-8975. And you can email me at lostanglerflies at gmail.com. Uh, we do a ton of cool events. This Saturday, uh, we're doing a back-to-school fly fishing seminar, and we're going to cover freshwater. We're going to cover the blackwater rivers, but we're also going to cover coastal stuff. And we're kind of getting in to where we're about to transition in the fall. And so this is a cool event where you can come out here. It's a little bit more of a classroom style setting and you can take notes, look at things and give you a great idea. We're not, we're the, the folks that are out here speaking with me, like Sam Sumlin, Ben Ferry, myself, Tom Dempsey, 
we're going to be not so much giving you spots to go to, but how to understand what you're getting into. Like, how do I understand where in the bay to go? How do I understand where in a river to go? How do I understand how to pick my flies and what's the right equipment for it? So this way, as we're transitioning into this um, season coming up, this is a wonderful thing for people to do. And it's so many of our events at the store are a ton of fun, but this really gets down to that brass tax sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that sounds like an awesome resource. You guys, if y'all are down here, y'all should definitely check it out. And uh, Peter, always a pleasure talking to you. Good talking to you, brother. Have a good one. And uh, thank you so much. And if you, you know, don't be a stranger at the store, we'll get back to that conversation on blackwater fishing. Yes, sir. We'll have to pick back up on that next time I'm in town. All right, brother. We'll see you soon, buddy. Hey, yes, sir. Be good. All right, guys, once again, that was Peter Jordan with the Lost Angler Fly Shop. We're going to be back with our next guest here in a minute. But in the meantime, let's hear from some of this week's sponsors. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The days of heading out and blindly looking for good fishing areas are pretty much over. Don't waste time and money on fuel searching for fish. You need the recent highest resolution images to not only know where to go, but where not to go. The knowledge provided by today's technology is critical when planning an offshore fishing trip. Make the choice that professional captains all over the Gulf make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at hiltonsoffshore.com. All right, guys, for our third guest today, we're talking with Michael Walker. Uh, He is a striped bass guide up on Smith Lake. Uh, Michael, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you? Uh, man, I'm just enjoying that little cool snap that we got that's been coming through. Oh, yeah. No, no. Uh, look forward to any kind of cool cool snap right now with the heat. <laughs> so. Well, uh, you, you was telling me y'all been doing pretty good up there lately. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We're uh, kind of at the end of, end of summer pattern right now on Smith Lake, uh, which typically means the bite's still really good. Um, good chance to load the boat almost on every trip we go out on right now uh the only thing that changes is our size goes down just a little with it being the end of summer i got you why why do you think that is because i've heard that from some other people that you know your numbers stay good but the fish get a little bit smaller um typically i mean our fish are in an oxygen squeeze towards the end of summer there's so much uh good oxygen left in the lake by the end of summer with them running a lot of water depending on how much rain we get throughout the summer and how much they have to run so generally can they're they're running the cooler water out of the lake the oxygenated water so typically as that gets tighter um your bigger fish get a little more sluggish and especially when it gets real bad they're gonna just really sit and they won't eat unless they have to um your smaller fish are a little more resilient and even if it's not the tightest squeeze, but there is, you know, the end of the summer kind of going on, the smaller fish are going to be more active. They're going to be quicker to the bait. So unless you hit that big fish in the face, there's a better chance of uh, a 6 to 12 to 18 pounder running up and getting that bait before a 20 to 30 to 40 pounder. Sure. You got you got any tips? Is there a way to kind of consistently get that bait down in those fish's faces a little bit more? reliably or is it kind of just luck of the draw who hits it no i mean good electronics um figuring out where your bite is um just because fish are sitting at 50 80 100 feet does not mean that's where they're eating i I relatively would start with trying to start you know a couple feet above them and then adjusting to that if you're starting to get fish not reacting at all you might want to see if you need to drop it down right to them 
other than that you can reel it up a couple extra feet because like for instance right now our fish are anywhere between 40 and 90 feet deep our bite window is somewhere between 35 and 55 and that kind of depends on where those fish are sitting typically our fish that are sitting around 40 or 50 are eating at 35 right now and that'll kind of change again as the water we get a couple more hot hot days we get a lot of rain just to keep pulling some water gets a little deeper into less oxygen then we're going to have the even deeper bite and the adjustment of they're probably not going to come up as much at that point so getting closer to them at times getting it further away it's all playing and messing around and understanding where the fish want to eat at sure well what uh kind of how are you catching those fish you talk about dropping baits down are you using live bait on them i mean we use live bait which is you know definitely probably your number one go-to um other than that we use several different techniques uh we do jig them uh with uh deep water spoons anywhere from you know if we're 40 feet or less we're probably using one ounce to three-fourths ounce if we're 40 feet or deeper we're probably using two as we get down to 80 and 90 we're probably going to need a three three and a half if not a four just to stay connected with it um jigging lighter jigs at 80 to 90 feet it's really you can get kind of get lost with the feel of the lure and um so i I feel that the heavier weight is kind of needed uh as you get deeper um but we we power reel a lot just like salt water dropping it down and bringing it up real fast uh just several different techniques but uh you know whether we're using live bait or artificial it's really more what what we need to do to get the certain fish get the fish out there Talk, talking about power reeling and, and dropping big baits and, and big weights you know down deep like that does that kind of necessitate a, a special type rod and reel setup to get that done do you have a particular combo that you like to use i mean i use all shimano saltwater reels on our freshwater trips um I have no level wine reels, um, anything that can break. Uh, I basically need a firm rod uh, that has just a little tip play, just a little, not much. Um, but, uh, you know, a good jigging rod, I don't really want a real soft rod. Um, I know some people prefer a real flexible rod. I want something a little bit stouter depending on my 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 weight of jig. But, uh that kind of all determines on tackle and everything, you know, lure weights and all that. Sure, sure. And then you talk about dropping your live baits down there. What are y'all usually fishing for live bait up there? Um, herring. We will fish shad, but herring became the main foliage about seven to eight years ago when they were illegally put in. Um, they have not only taken hold, but they have flourished and probably flourished too much. Uh, it's Lake's covered with them. Right now, it's probably your hardest time to catch them. The bait is anywhere between 60 and 85 feet. Uh, you need a 10-foot tape net uh, that probably weighs anywhere between a pound and a quarter to a pound and a half per foot. So it's it's a lot of work this time of year to catch bait. Uh, you do have to go out majority at nighttime. The rest of the year, it's not that tough. They're a lot higher. It's a little easier to get them, but this time of year, it's 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 a job in itself ask this because i I do a lot of catfishing down here and i imagine that there's probably some some similarities it it sounds like definitely as far as like fishing deep um bigger weights bigger bigger rod and reel setups than what most people are carrying out on their boats and then 
that kind of perpetual hunt for good, you know, bait. Because for catfish especially, there's really no substitute for for live bait or, or fresh cut bait. And, you know, I'm I'm lucky here on the river where I'm at down in South Alabama. Usually you can find shad somewhere fairly shallow, um, even if you got to go out at night, you know, to go, go throw a net under some dock nights or some some dock lights. But when you're when you're catching fish that deep, you know, a lot, it takes a lot of time for that net to get down there. So do you have any pointers for, for netting any type bait that are down that deep? Know your water temperatures, especially when you went once you catch your first load of bait in deep water, you need to actually fill your bait. Um, you can drop probes down and everything, but you need to feel how cold your bait is. Uh, on Smith Lake, I have a 75 gallon tank in my boat. I usually put about 50 gallons of water. I use lake water uh, when I fill that tank up, when I show up and with the lake water running around 90 degrees right now. I put 100 pounds of ice in my tank. By the time that adjusts, I'm at like 62 degrees, and I think my bait's probably somewhere around 62, 63. Being able to make sure your water temperature is relatively close to what that bait's coming out of, especially when getting them that deep, is is key on them. Uh, Not only just getting back into the tank and swimming for a minute, but then surviving for hours, if not half a day to a day until your trip starts or until you're out fishing. Um, Heavy salt uh, for shad, I would use, you know, a cup every 20 gallons of water. And for herring, I'd use at least one cup every 10 gallons of water. Salt key, especially year-round, but in the summertime, it's it's crucial um at your bait being able to make it much longer than a couple hours sure is there a particular net that you favor because i know that there's a my my wife actually used to make cast nets her whole family did that for a long time she's like a fourth generation net maker and i know that there's cast nets and then there's cast nets uh is there is there a particular net that you prefer when you throw in one that heavy and trying to get it down that deep i've got several different nets super spreader there are several tape nets that already come with woven uh tape edges and especially uh throwing deep you're going to need a tape net uh no doubt i would not go smaller than nine feet if not just throw a 10 Uh, if you can throw a nine you can throw a 10 Um, but you need the circumference you need a big net you definitely need the cape uh the tape to keep it flared I don't buy the pre-woven tape nets. I use, I get a 10-foot a, um, a net that's heavier than most tape nets. Most tape nets come at a pound per foot, but I need. I feel especially getting deeper, and our bait can see that net coming. Even at 70 feet, you can start to see them outrun it, so you need more weight. So a pound and a half it probably works is what I like, and then we use Gorilla Glue duct tape it's a extra wide gorilla glue it's a really wide uh really wide duct tape so we get a little extra flare out of the net the rip the tape that they put in now people say tape will get sticky over time and you have to pull with it i've had my net i got three nets i take out every day just in case i need different thing or i see something different on the on the depth finder but the last three years the nets i got in the boat are all duct tape I don't really take great care of them or make sure they're out of the sun or make sure they're not wet or 
so, but I've never had an issue. So I'm three years deep in the Gorilla Glue test and uh, have been really satisfied and definitely think I get more of a flare and my net stays open the deeper we get than uh, store-bought with the ribbon tape in it. So I guess that's that's kind of new to me uh, is, is a tape net. So I can, or are you putting tape around kind of the circumference of the net at the edges or are you taping up kind of where the, the panel seams would be? Or You're going to tape the whole bottom of the net. Uh, so you're going to go down where your weights are. You're going to go up maybe, you know, let's say a half an inch and then you're going to start taping it. You're going to double side duct tape. So you're going to lay one and then lay the other. You're going to want it to line up. But, you know, if you if if you go to a store, they've got uh, tape nets. And it's kind of like a ribbon cloth material that they've got in there. And it works. It works just fine. But in 100 feet, 100 feet deep, if we're catching our bait in another week or so, it's not real wide compared to using uh, that Gorilla Glue extra wide uh, duct tape. So, like, I, I felt like our net was... I could see it on live scope. Our net was slowly bailing. It wasn't bailing like a regular net would be close to 50 feet. Um, but we were not getting the, the enough out of it. So we kind of, instead of doubling up, or we, we found that a couple of years ago, and it's worked great for us. That's interesting. Yeah, I can I can see, too, you were talking about how they can see that, uh, that net coming. I know the little bit of fishing I've done up there at Smith Lake, it's astonishing how how deep but how clear that is. I mean, I've been in some areas where you could look, you know, your depth finder is showing you pull up into some of those little uh, coves and it's showing that you're in 20 feet of water, but you can look down at the bottom and, and see structure and see fish. You know, it's really incredible what how clear that water can get up there. And, you know, at 75 feet, there shouldn't be much, if any, light penetration, uh, whether they're seeing it or feeling it. One of the two, uh, it, it definitely, they're definitely outrunning it at times, so. Wait, wait. If you if you have them out running it, you're gonna just need to change the weight of your cast net. I know down here you can have days where you throw the net once and you catch more bait than you need for a day, and then I've had days where just bait is so spread out it takes just about more time to find bait than it does to find fish. Um, are you you having to throw that net repeatedly over the course of a half hour or so to round your bait up, or or have you got some good tips on how to get a good wad on the first throw? It has nothing to do with the wad. It really has to do with as long as if you have a good throw, it'll have to do with what the bait is for the season and the time. Um, spring, early summer, we go to places and we throw three times and have more bait than we need. Uh, could even dream about using. Um, a couple weeks ago, I could throw max six to seven times and have plenty of bait right now i'm showing up three and a half hours before our trips to make sure i have enough baits to have a hundred baits before a trip um i could get them in one throw i might throw 15 to 20 times uh just depending on just depending on the bait their location smith lake has very few deep water docks that don't have cables anchor cables that are coming out so there's a lot of ways that for the position, fish to position around these cables, uh, throwing your line, your, your nets around these cables is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty dangerous and bad luck for your net. But, uh, yeah, it, it really just depends from night to night. Uh, like I said, we don't know. So we show up about three to four hours before the trip. Sure. 
Well, Michael, that's been some pretty good information. If uh, people want to get with you and go stripe profession, what's a good way to reach out to you? Um, you can look up our website, smithlight 247 striperguides.com, or you can give me a call at 205-503-2020. Absolutely, guys. If y'all listening in, y'all want a good striper trip, y'all go check Michael out. And Michael, I appreciate your time, sir. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one. You too. All right, guys, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll go ahead and hear from some of our sponsors. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Hayabusa. Hayabusa provides the world with outstanding fishing hooks. Hayabusa is manufactured in Japan with technical designs, functionality, durability, and styles that customers who want to catch more fish demand. Hayabusa Fishing works tirelessly to provide the highest quality products manufactured and ensures current and prospective customers achieve a higher level of performance by using innovative products. From sabikis and saltwater hooks and jigs to freshwater hooks. See what they're all about at HayabusaFishing.com. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up this week's show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening. If you'd like for us to email you the podcast, you can just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314-665-1767 to subscribe to our email list, and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has delivered the finest quality fish and game feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. To learn more, visit TexasHunter.com. Also brought to you by KillerDock combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDock.com to see more. Also brought to you by Dixie Supply. Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply manufacture a variety of metal roofing systems to meet your needs. Whether you're putting a new roof on your home or sheeting a commercial building, they have you covered. Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply, your metal roofing headquarters. Also by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call one 888 830-POND or info at sepond.com. Also brought to you by L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoons to bigger bay and hybrid boats for the hardcore angler. You can visit them at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or give them a call at 251-937-1380. 